0: Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store.
1: Well, let me say it has been uh, such a joy to take a few weeks uh, to dig into this incredible teaching and this incredible truth that we see in Scripture about heaven. And I have loved hearing your questions. I've loved your feedback. I've loved hearing the encouragement that you've offered about this series. And I can certainly attest that I have enjoyed it as well. I have enjoyed digging into these truths. And I would say that four weeks ago, I was very excited about heaven. But now four weeks later, I'm even more excited about what is to come in uh, the life that follows. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Um, It should be one of your deepest desires to understand what happens after this earthly life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope and pray that you realize that you're not here by accident today and that today could be the day that we're praying that God would draw you to himself and that you would understand that there is more to this life than we're currently experiencing right now, that we can have hope and we can have joy and we can, of course, have that assurance that there is eternal life with Jesus after we die. And so I'm excited about this time that we get to be together this morning. And I'm thinking about what's to come, and and summer is obviously going to be here before you know it, and as summer is quickly approaching, maybe you're like me and you love summer because summer gives you a little bit of a change of pace, or maybe summer gives you a vacation, or just that your schedule is a little bit different, and if you're wired like me, you enjoy that process of trying to find fun things to do. And you try to enjoy that process of coming up with all of your summer plans. Now, this is maybe a little known fact. Maybe you know this about me. Maybe you don't know this about me. But I'm a planner. I love to plan things. And I've always liked to plan things. I like to plan our family trips. I like to plan my day. I, I, I just enjoy planning. In fact, if I didn't, if I had some time, I would plan your trips for you as well. I mean, I just enjoy doing that. I'm kind of really weird like that. I enjoy reading reviews of restaurants and reading reviews of things Uh, that you would do and go uh, maybe do with your family. And I love to come up with those itineraries. And it works out really well for us in our marriage because my wife Jacqueline is very content with me taking on this role. Here's some marriage advice for you. If there's something your significant other likes to do and you don't have a strong preference, let them do it, okay? All the time people reach out to me and they have this marital conflict and they're just arguing about things that they really don't even care about. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, if You like to do that and he likes to do that? Then just let him take the the lead on that Um, and stop, you know, just kind of stop, you know, fighting about all those things and come back next week as we kick off a brand new series on dating and marriage and relationships and all those things. But if you don't like a plan, you're not going to want to go on vacation with me. I enjoy the relaxation part immensely, but I also want there to be a plan. And I enjoy figuring those things out. And maybe you're like me. We go to great lengths to plan out a trip to Gatlinburg. And to come up with what we want to do and where we want to go. Maybe you have a hobby that you like to plan towards. Maybe it's some kind of exercise or weightlifting or golf or painting or whatever it might be. And I'm sure that if you like to do that, you probably plan around it. You come up with a plan to get better at that. You map things out. You set goals. You research. You surround yourself with other people who are also going after that craft to help you become better in that. And we work and we research for activities and we work and we research for trips, things that are very, very temporary. But when it comes to the things that are eternal, sometimes we've remained blissfully uninformed. And we've just said, you know what, we'll just kind of figure that out later. When in reality... It's time for us to understand some of these things in a little bit of a deeper understanding. That's why we're in the midst of this series, and my hope and my prayer is that this series has been beneficial for you. Some of you are with us for the very first time today, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Somebody invited you, or you drove by our church, or you visited our website, and you chose to come and visit with us today, and that truly means the world to us. And so if you're picking up on this fourth of four weeks, what I would encourage you to do is to go back and listen to the first three weeks, because we dig into some of these truths And a lot of detail. But just so that everybody's on the same page, and if you're like me, you need a refresher as well. Here's the abridged version. These are kind of seven things that we have talked about in the last three weeks. And these are in no particular order. So I'm going to go through these very, very quickly. Number one, heaven is a real place. Heaven is not a spirit place. Heaven is a real place. Number two, those who have died in Jesus Christ are with Jesus now in heaven. But Jesus promises us in his word, this is point number three, that he is going to come back and return for the second time. And when he comes back from the second time down from heaven, he creates a new heaven and a new earth, meaning that there is a place right now where those who have died and know Jesus Christ are with Jesus. But when Jesus comes back for the second time, he ushers in the eternal heaven. Number four, when all this happens, all who have died in Christ already, All those patriarchs of the faith, maybe some of your grandparents who knew Jesus, they will be called up first to meet with Jesus. And then all of us who are still here, if we are alive, when Jesus returns, we'll go next. And it says in Scripture, as you're going to see here in just a second, that there will be this great meeting in the air. Number five, when Jesus returns again, we're going to have a resurrected body. You will have a physical body. And you know what's going to be awesome about your body? It's going to have no pain. It's going to have no sickness. Did you know in heaven there will be no need for children's hospitals? How cool is that? In heaven there will be no memorial services because we never die. Number six, most importantly perhaps, we'll be with Jesus And in heaven, we will see the face of God and we'll no longer be under control of sin. And then, number seven, you're gonna have responsibilities. You're gonna have things that you do, work that you will do, relationships that you will have, activities that you'll engage with. But here's what's so cool because we cannot understand this from our human finite understanding right now. All of those activities will be completely free from the sinful condition that we're living under right now, meaning that you will enjoy work for the sake of working, you'll enjoy rest. Simply because not you need it, but because you yearn for it. And God says, I want to give this to you as a gift. There's so much of this that we can't comprehend. But this morning, we want to end with this question When is all this going to happen? When will heaven happen? What's going to happen between now and then? How will we know? Well, let's keep those questions in mind as we pray and as we dig into God's word and ask him to speak to us today through his word. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this day. What a joy it is to be in your presence. I thank you for this powerful morning of worship already, and I thank you for your word. And I pray that you would speak to us today boldly through it, God, as we just position ourselves to be used by you. And as we come before you with anticipation of what it is that you're going to teach us. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And amen. So when will heaven come? When will all of this take place? I don't know. Thank you for coming to church today. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Um, We don't know. It's actually one of those details that God very conveniently and very purposefully has left out. Now that doesn't mean that we haven't tried to speculate. People throughout the course of history have tried to pinpoint the day when Jesus is going to return and where he's going to come and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. In fact, back in 1988, if you were alive back then, there was a guy named Edgar Wisenite who wrote a book, and some of you may remember this, called 88 Reasons That Jesus Is Going to Come in 1988. Sold millions of copies. 1988 came and gone. (laughs) And he actually gave a revised version that said his dates were wrong, and it was actually 89. 89. It came, and it left us. Some of you who are old enough to remember Y2K. It was the turn of the century. and it was a scary time. It was December 31st, 11:59 p.m. And we were sitting on bated breath, wondering what's going to happen, December 1st, 2000. Some of you had stockpiled food. We were wondering where the computers going to crash? Was this when Jesus was going to return? And some of you who are under the age of 30 have little to no knowledge of this. You don't know what it was like. You've only heard about this from your grandparents. And you judge us, old people, for taking such draconian measures. And you think to yourself, how could you live that way? Well, just know if you're under 30, we judge you a little bit as well. So, you know, (laughs) that whole Stanley mug thing, I don't get it, you know. That's why my grandpa took cheap coffee to work in. So you know what? You judge me, I judge you, but Y2K was scary. Okay, let's just (laughs) sit there for a minute in that. Because we thought maybe this is when Jesus is going to come back. But it didn't happen. So much of this fascination that we have with heaven, it's just not scriptural. So much of it is unknown. But do you know what we do know? Teaching is actually crystal clear on a lot that we need to lean into this morning. And so we're going to conclude this series today by digging into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You're going to see these words appear on the screen. You can hop on your mobile device and follow along. Every week we print for you there in your worship guide as well. Some notes that you can follow along with, read some of these scriptures. Maybe you want to write some of these big ideas that I'm going to unpack here in just a little bit. But pick up with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Brothers and sisters... I love these words in 1 Thessalonians. They're written by Paul to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And this is what the church is struggling with. They are struggling with this question of what happens to our loved ones when they die? What happens to those who die that have this relationship with Jesus Christ? And obviously that question is coming from a place of grief. And all of us have lost someone in our lives. And what naturally happens in those difficult moments of life? We grieve. And so Paul is looking at this group of people who are grieving, and he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the situation that your loved ones are in right now. I I, I don't want you to worry about where they are. No, you are entitled to grieve, Paul is saying, and I would say to you as well, you are entitled to grieve. You should grieve. Do you know that grief is a very natural process when we lose anything in life? I have actually more concerns about people who don't grieve the losses in their life than the people who kind of have to sit there maybe even a little bit longer than you would want them to. But what Paul says is that the rest of humanity grieves without hope. And he says, you're not like them. You are not like a group of people, the ones who do not know Jesus Christ, who grieve without hope. You don't have to grieve without hope. I love referencing this verse to a family that has a loved one that knew Jesus Christ and was walking with Jesus Christ. And maybe a tragic accident happened or they lived a full you know, life and they go to meet Jesus. I love the truth of this, that we don't grieve as people without hope. We are not like those in the world because we have a hope of what is to come. And so that's why Paul starts this section of the letter by saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about what happens after you die. I don't want there to be misinformation. He says Jesus died and Jesus resurrected. Happy Easter, by the way. (laughs) And God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He's saying Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead and those who are dead in Jesus Christ, will be with God. They will rise to be with God. And he says, and then there's all of you. So he's giving them hope and giving them encouragement for those who have already gone on. But then he looks at them, and this letter is intended to be read by an actual group of physical people. And at this point in time, all of the Thessalonians, they were still alive. Now, of course, they're not alive now, or they'd be over a 1,000 years old, 2,000 years old. But we're alive now, and we're reading this as people who also are remaining here, and who the Lord has not called home yet. And so all of us, in verse 15, he says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So all of us who are still alive, that when we die, when the Lord returns again, in present tense, just like the church in the first century was anticipating it, he will call all of us home. But when the Lord comes down, with a loud voice, the dead in Christ will rise first. All of those who have gone first. And after that, all of us will be called up into the air. And it says right here in First Thessalonians that there will be a great meeting in the air. And I love this word picture because that phrase meeting in the air, it actually only happens, it only occurs two other times in this form in the New Testament. And do you know what both of those are in reference to? Both of those are in reference to physical meetings. How cool is that? Have you ever been a part of a meeting that should have been an email? Yes. (laughs) Happens all the time to me, and I'm thinking to myself, that was 35 minutes, you could have put that in two paragraphs, but that's neither here nor there. This is not a meeting that could have been an email. This is a meeting that you want to be a part of. This is a meeting that you yearn to be a part of, that there will be this meeting in the air when we literally meet Jesus. Wow. And then we will be with him forever. And Paul concludes this little part by saying, encourage one another with these words. Encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ with these words. Allow these words to be a beacon of hope for you. Allow these words to be a balm to your weary soul. And that's why we're doing this right now. And you and I should be passionate about taking these words of encouragement to a world that is weary, when you know that someone else is going through a difficult season or you know someone else is going through a loss, how about reminding them that you do not grieve like the world grieves because we have hope of what is to come, especially if you have someone in your life that has lost maybe a loved one and that loved one had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let that person grieve, but remind them that they do not grieve without hope because their eternal destination is where we all are anticipating and looking forward to going to. So what should be our number one takeaway when it comes to all of this? When it comes to all of these questions of when will all of this actually happen? What should be our number one takeaway? Our number one takeaway, again, is we do not know. (laughs) I don't know when this is gonna happen, but that's not very encouraging, so let me give you takeaway number two. How about that? Because we don't know is really the big idea, but takeaway number two, as you see there on your notes, is that heaven is hope. Heaven is hope hope did you know all of the teachings about heaven 500 plus verses in the entire book of revelation which is a really difficult book for us to understand all of these teachings about heaven even including the ones that are difficult for us to wrap our mind around are messages of hope they are given to us by god to instill hope in our lives It's why he says in verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The Lord doesn't want you and I to process loss and frustration. And he certainly doesn't want us to process struggles like everyone else does. Because those who are apart from Jesus Christ, they think that this present earth in its current form, with all of the trappings and with all of the anxiety, those who are only living for themselves in the world right now, they think this is it. But those of us who are living for more than this realize that there is hope and there is peace and there is, of course, a promise of what is to come. And this series has been all about getting you more and more excited about that, more and more excited about what is to come, because we've been uninformed about this. In fact, sometimes we've been quite misdirected. We've thought that heaven will be this place that I only go to as a spirit and I will float around on a cloud and I will sing amazing grace all day long for eternity. Whereas in reality, it's a place where I have a resurrected body and where I'm going to be free from everything that has plagued me and I'll be literally, truly in the presence of Jesus, a place that is perfect and a place that is free from sin, a place that is free from disappointment, amen, a place that is free from pride, a place that is free from all of the struggles, and everyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ will be there, meaning that this isn't sad, this is hopeful, but before all of that happens, before Jesus comes and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. This has to happen. The Lord will return for a second time and will call all followers of Christ to heaven. You see that on your notes there. The Lord will return for a second time and will call all followers of Christ to heaven. And this is where all the speculation comes in. This is where all the questions start to surface. When is that going to happen, Pastor Jason? What has to happen before the Lord comes for the second time and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth? What happens after that? Maybe you have read some books about this before. Or maybe you've watched some really scary movies about this before about what all is going to happen. Or maybe you've heard people use phrases and words that you're like, maybe I should know what that means, but they're talking about pre-tribulation, they're talking about post-tribulation, and I'm over here just saying, I know the pre-part, I know the post-part, but what are they talking about? What is all of this? And and it's these words that various theologians and, and people who are a lot smarter than me have speculated about what's actually going to happen in these end times. But let me take you back to Scripture because we know in Scripture that there are a couple things that God gives us very clearly that's going to happen before the Lord comes back again before Jesus comes back to this earth once and for all one more time before that happens there's three particular things that we see in scripture that are going to happen one is we're told that all people all tribes all tongues all nations will hear the gospel that everyone will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. Have you ever asked yourself why is missions important to the church? That's why missions is important to us as a church. That's why we encourage you to go out and share your faith with other people because it's one of the promises that God gives us when the message of the gospel makes its way to all people and all people have an opportunity to respond to that, then the end will come. Secondly, we're promised in Scripture that there will be a time of great tribulation that there will be a time of great tribulation. And we're also taught that there will be an Antichrist who will come. So the message will make it to all the nations. There will be a time of great tribulation, and there will be an Antichrist. So when we look in Scripture, we'll start with the tribulation part. When it comes to tribulation, what we're taught in Scripture is that the tribulation will actually amp up prior to the return of Jesus. Here's the deal, though. When we look at any point in history, what has always been happening to God's people? They've always been under tribulation. I mean, think about the first century followers of Jesus. They were martyred for their faith. I think about our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in places that are so close to the gospel right now, places like Libya, places like North Korea, places like Chad, where professing faith in Jesus Christ is literally a death sentence for you. And I would call that tribulation. And I would say, you know, these are people who are under tribulation. But the Lord promises us that that tribulation is only going to intensify. And Matthew chapter 24 is really the passage of Scripture that we draw this strength from. Because this is a sermon from Jesus, and it's called the Olivet Discourse. And what he's doing is he's giving his disciples more insight in about what is to come. He says, this is going to happen before I return. And it says in verse 21, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. So Jesus himself says there will be great distress like we have never seen. And it also says in Scripture that there will be an antichrist. An antichrist simply means against Jesus. One who comes and speaks loudly against Jesus. 1 John 2, 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So any false teacher who teaches against Jesus is an antichrist. But the scripture says that there will be the antichrist who comes and who rises up and seeks to exalt himself over God. Now, prior to Jesus returning for the second time, we're promised that this is going to happen. And out the, throughout the course of history, there's been people speculating about who is the Antichrist. Back in the 1930s, Christians thought that Hitler was the Antichrist. Here's the deal, though. Many Antichrists have come, but one will come. Many tribulations have happened, and a Continued tribulation is only going to intensify. See, all of this study is what theologians would call eschatology. And eschatology is simply the study of the last things, study of the last time. These are all promises that we see mapped out in Scripture. But the caveat is we are unclear about the when, and we are unclear about the how, and we are unclear about the who Meaning I'm not going to roll a whiteboard out this morning and list a bunch of events for you. And I'm not going to roll out a whiteboard and say, actually, according to my calculations and according to my timelines and according to my understanding of what is the most severe tribulation that we have gone through. We're right here in this current season of history. We're We're in the Great Tribulation or we're not in the Great Tribulation or the Antichrist is here or the Antichrist isn't here. The Bible tells us this is going to happen but we simply just do not know at what point we are right now. And it would be total speculation for me to say, this is exactly where we are and this is how much longer we have before the Lord comes back. Again, though, it's a message of hope. So those who know Jesus Christ, this isn't a message of fear. This is a message of hope. Now, interestingly enough, do you know what the Bible does? The Bible leaves us pretty intentionally vague on this. In some ways, you would think to yourself, man, it would have been awesome if God just brought all that into clarity for me. If God just mapped out specifically for me how that was going to happen, but what would you and I not need if it was really that abundantly clear? We wouldn't need faith. And do you know what the Bible says about faith? In Hebrews 11.6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So as much as we would like to have all the clarity about where am I, where are we in this specific time, if we knew all the answers to that, then we would have no need for faith. And the Lord's word also tells us that it's that faith that we have in the promise of the things to come, the promise of heaven that actually puts us in a position to please God. But we can know that things get worse. They get way worse. And voices speaking up against Jesus And against the teachings of the gospel, only get louder before he returns. Just this past week, um, I saw one of those street preachers. And uh, he was on a corner with a loud microphone screaming at people, which, I mean, I I guess he thought that was effective. Uh, He was also letting them know that Jesus loves them through a loud scream. Um, And this gentleman walks up to him and screams back at him and says, Jesus doesn't love me. God doesn't love this world. And there were other choice words that were said as well. And as I watched all of this unfold before my eyes, I was thinking about this message today. And I saw this interchange and I saw this one guy who had a motivation that honestly didn't seem very pure to me, but I'm not going to judge him. And you have this other guy who comes and has a belief that's not biblical, shouting back at him. And I thought to myself, I'm kind of seeing the last times unfold before my eyes right here of people touting truths that are not true and acting in ways that are not christ-like but here's the reality it does get more intense things probably surface more questions in your mind than they do answers but here's the reality and you see this on your notes every generation has thought they were living in the last days this is what's interesting to me every generation has thought i am living right now in the last days starting back with the disciples Three weeks ago, I preached in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended back to heaven, and he tells them, I am going to come back the same way that I left. It's this beautiful heaven promise. I'm going to come and restore everything anew. Go back and read it in Acts chapter 1. It is so fascinating. They give that word from Jesus, and do you know how they responded? They started staring up into heaven. They thought it was going to happen right then. And the angel comes down and says, "Um, he's coming back. Uh, He probably is going to be gone a little bit longer than 32 seconds, though. They were waiting, and they were ready. They had heard the teaching. We're in the last times. Jesus has to be coming back. Maybe this was just a cool trick. He shows us he can ascend, and here he comes right back down and makes everything new. When I was a kid, I firmly believed we were living in the last days, because if you grew up in the 80s, there was some scary movies out there. And there was some books that were circulating around, and there was some scare tactics kind of in religious services, and I was just thinking to myself, I mean, I had this legitimate fear that we were going to be driving home from church one day, and we were just going to be called home, and meddling, and the cars were going to be sliding all over the road. How did we discern that? Where did we get that from? Well, we actually got that from Jesus' own teaching. Because what did Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 24? He gives us some insight into what's going to happen in the last days. You see this here on the screen. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of the birth pains. And I'm reading this in the 80s and 90s and thinking to myself, this is happening right now. There's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's famines, there's earthquakes. But he hasn't come back yet. And now we fast forward to the present tense. And what's happening in our world right now? There are deceivers, there are antichrists out there who are trying to exalt themselves above Jesus. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's two of the most significant conflicts that have ever been happening in our world, happening as we speak. There's nations rising up against nations. There's also famines and earthquakes. Check, all of these things were promised to happen before Jesus returns. But at every juncture in history, those things have happened. Hence why this is so complicated. So I would encourage you to not get caught up on the timing as much as you get caught up on the concept, it is going to happen. Jesus is going to return. And you know what? I'm ready for it. And you know what? You can be ready for it. This isn't fear. This is hope. One of our favorite prayers at home is the Lord's Prayer. We've taught our kids the Lord's Prayer. My wife and I actually pray this prayer together quite frequently. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 is my favorite part of the prayer. And it's where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe your kids have memorized that prayer and they don't understand the theological gravity of what you have taught them. When you pray that prayer on earth as it is in heaven, you are actually saying, Lord, I want right here on earth what we are promised in heaven. Maybe you go through a tragic season or a a difficult tragedy, and you will say to someone, come, Lord Jesus. What that prayer is saying is you're saying it's a cry of the heart for heaven. It's a cry of my heart right now, my broken heart, to say there has to be more than this. There has to be more than all this pain. And there has to be more than all of this sin. And there has to be more than all of these struggles. And so those prayers are a cry of the heart for what is to come. And so remember when you teach those truths to your kids or when you recite those prayers yourself, remember how powerful that is. You're actually making a proclamation that you're excited about heaven and you're excited about the promise fulfilled that Jesus is going to give us. But I skipped over the first one intentionally because I want to kind of unpack it here for just a few minutes. Because it's not just the tribulation and it's not just the Antichrist that is promised to us before Jesus returns. He also says that once the message of the gospel makes it to everyone, i.e. evangelism, then I will return. And so I want you to write this down because we, we misunderstand and we really misdirect and we really underutilize how important this is. Evangelism brings heaven closer. Evangelism brings heaven closer. Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Right after all this tribulation talk, right after all this Antichrist talk, right after all this earthquake talk, we're reminded that once the message gets to everyone, and once everyone is confronted with the reality of their sin, and once everyone is given an opportunity to respond to the gospel, the end will come. Heaven will. The new heavens and the new earth will be ushered in by Jesus. So if I want the will of God here on earth as it is in heaven, then I should be seeking every day to share Jesus more and more with others. This morning at our second service, we're going to get to celebrate baptism with a lady in our church named Terry. And we celebrate those moments because that is a literal representation of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A dying to self saying, I no longer live for myself, but I want the world to know who I belong to. See, it's those moments that bring heaven closer. So I should be working and you should be working and sharing like every person that you connect with could be the last person on the globe to hear the message of the gospel. What prevents us from that kind of passion? What prevents me living with that kind of fervor to say, you know what? This might be, this might be what remains between me and the Lord coming back again. I pray that I would have that type of passion and that you would have that kind of zeal. But see, in reality, no one knows when heaven will come. No one knows when heaven will come, but praise God, everyone can be ready. No one knows when heaven will come, but praise God, everyone can be ready. Back to Matthew 24, verse 36. But about the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, I don't know if you caught that in verse 36, but the angels in heaven don't know when Jesus is returning again. I don't know if you caught this in verse 36, but Jesus himself doesn't know when he is returning. Only God knows. And so if Jesus and the angels don't know, I am quite skeptical that I'm going to know. (laughs) And as much as I love all of you, if God has only made this known to himself and Jesus and the angels don't know it yet, as much as I love you and as smart as you are, you're probably not going to know either. But the reality is, what I do know about heaven is that heaven is closer today than it was yesterday. Him coming back is closer today than it was yesterday, and I know that I can be ready, and you can be ready. And the church has given this teaching, particularly here in 1 Thessalonians, to encourage us and to encourage one another. And for us to not live uninformed lives, but rather to say, you can be ready. I yearn for you to be ready for what is to come. And if you're not ready this morning or you don't have that certainty of what it means to be ready, I promise you, this is more important than any of those other things in your life that you're planning right now. This is more important than the career trajectory that you're planning out. This is more important than all of the activities that you are planning out. This is more important than what happens with your kids' sports schedules. I invite you right now to join me in prayer if you don't have that security of what happens after you die. And I hope and pray that all of us would be so excited that we would say, you know what? I I cannot help but share this excitement with others because there are people who are dying every day that do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ and I want them to know. I want them to know about how much God loves them. And so I want you to know this morning how much God loves you. And I want you to know how much that God cares about you. He sent his only son so that you could have life. And this morning, if we can pray for you, As we lead into a time of communion here in just a moment, there's going to be some of our prayer team that will move over here to where there's going to be a cross that will be illuminated on the wall. You can make some notes on your connection card so that we can pray for you. But I do not want you to leave this place today without knowing how much God loves you and the incredible plan that he has for you and that your eternity can be secure in him. And if you already have that relationship with Jesus Christ, will you do me a favor this morning? And will you pray for God to give you a newfound zeal and passion to share the love of Jesus Christ with those people whose lives are broken right now? God is here. God is working. So we meet him. Will you meet him where he's yearning to work in your life today?
0: Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.